Well, good to see you on this beautiful morning. Uh, it's nice to have rain. It actually feels like fall. Uh, it's always hard to get up in Phoenix, especially on a, a weekend, and uh, get out of bed or get off the couch and go somewhere. So I'm glad that you're here uh, today. And uh, it's always like the sun goes away for a few days and the city like shuts down. It's just energy-wise, it's not there. But uh, beautiful morning. Uh, we're going to be starting a new teaching series on Colossians next week, and, uh, and wanted to kind of hit on Matthew 25 today. Um, and so this is, uh, next week we'll be starting Colossians, so if you have your prayer journal, it has a place for notes and daily devotionals in it, um, you, uh, we'll, we'll be a week behind, we'll catch up next week. Uh, but I wanted to, to look at this passage today, and towards the end of Jesus' life, he tells a parable, and it's probably one of his most vivid parables, and the teaching is found at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, it's, it's a large passage, and I want to look at it today in Matthew chapter 25, and it, it falls within kind of a series of teachings uh, from Jesus. But it says this, here's the parable. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, Prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. And I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, whatever you did not do for one of these least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Wow. Sometimes you read through that story and you forget the intensity of it. It's kind of ominous. It's challenging. It stirs something deep within us. As we read it, we think, well, this, I mean, what is this really about? Because, you know, so much of, of, of these conversations about 
eternity and heaven and hell and salvation has to do with grace and it has to do with, with what God has done on the cross and yet we get to this passage and all of a sudden we're talking about, it's starting to sound like it depends on what we do, right? It sounds like a works passage. Do we work our way to, to God's favor? Do we work our way to salvation? What is going on here? And yet there's also something hopeful about it that what God is doing in this world He's using everyday people like you and me. And there's these high expectations for people who are in relationship with him to act a certain way within this world. What's going on here? What do we do with this? Do we take this passage at face value? Do we take it with the context that it is given? Do we compare it and contrast it to other passages in Scripture about salvation? What Paul says, what Jesus says in other places? What do we do here? There's a lot of ways to interpret it. There's a lot of things that it stirs inside of us as we hear it. But I think there's one thing that is true when it comes to this passage. And and one thing I think Jesus is trying to communicate here uh, to what it means to be in relationship with him. And it's that at some point, we will be held accountable for how we respond to human need in this world. At some point, we will be held accountable to how we respond to human need in this world. The story of the gospel, the story of this scripture, is that we are broken people, undeserving of grace, and yet God provides that for us. One passage says that even while we were sinners, Christ dies for us. We're undeserving, and yet he meets us and provides something that is a gift. Because of that, when we start to understand the heart of God in this world and what God has done, there's this change that happens in us where we start to see people around us, even those undeserving, even those who are broken, and offer them grace, offer them a gift. There's something uh, that Jesus says you can tell his disciples by fruit of how they live. There's something going on. And here's my hope for us as a church, as Desert City Church. If at some point we're held accountable for how we respond to other humans in need, my hope is to form our hearts to respond well to people around us, that we come in contact with every single day, that that God would form our hearts to respond to human need, that we'd have a heightened sense of awareness of what others around us are going through, whether it's suffering, whether it's lacking in something, whether it's grieving, we would have this heightened sense of awareness of those around us. There's this moment where we're held accountable, and my hope is that we're formed in a way. So last week we did this Matthew 25 challenge, and one of the things that that I like about different things like this is that it it, it disrupts our routine. It, it, It shakes us up a little bit. It exposes something in our life and opens us up to other people, the way other people live. About 10 years ago, I was working as a missions pastor at our sister church, McDowell Mountain, and had the opportunity to kind of travel the world at a young age. Just a great opportunity for me, experience to see the world. Uh, I got to go to the Dominican Republic and the Caribbean. I got to go to a lot of just kind of foreign countries, um, South Africa and China and Texas. Um, 
lots of just exotic places. And uh, some of the things that I got to experience on these travels changed me. I remember being in Cape Town, South Africa, and gazing upon Robben Island, where Nelson Mandela was held prisoner during apartheid, and working with some churches there in Cape Town to see how God was uh, moving through those communities, bringing about racial reconciliation. I remember being in China, uh, a communist country, working with a church there, sitting on the Great Wall of China with my dad. They had just opened a Starbucks. We were drinking a Starbucks on the Great Wall of China. My dad said, not in a million years did I ever think this would be possible. And then working with a church that was doing all sorts of illegal things with the underground church in China, training seminary pastors. I remember going to Lebanon, to going to Beirut, uh, a very uh, war-torn city. Unbelievable violence that has happened there. Working in a refugee camp uh, with people who had lost their homes, lost everything. When we were there, the, the outbreak of kind of the, the Syrian civil war crisis was just starting. Um, sitting in homes with these people who had lost everything. Not in homes, sitting in these, these uh, refugee camps. And just and, and when you go and you travel and you, you experience people from all over the world, a couple things I learned. One is that I'm an American and happy to, be an American, happy to be an American. I love my freedom. I love transportation here. I am so glad I don't deal with the metric system. Uh, <laughs> love my coffee, love my air-conditioned home. Uh, and there's certain things that I, I don't take for granted as I've left this country. But there's something else that happens when you travel and, and if you've traveled often, you know, it, you experience something that opens you up to that the world is big. It's large. There are a lot of people here. And people live very differently in different parts of the world. And there's places that I've been where you experience people who, they, they have this great wealth of community. They have this great wealth spiritually and, and are living in absolute, complete material poverty. And you're around other people that, that you, you see some poverty, which I've heard people say it's like stupid poverty. Like they're, they're poor and, and they're, they're dying because they don't have access to clean water and medicine and things that for us and our children would, would bring about nourishment. And you experience that and it opens up something inside of you. It changes the way you kind of navigate through life. One of the things I loved about the Matthew 25 challenge is you get this little glimpse of that, giving up coffee for a day Anyone else get a headache trying to sleep on the floor for a day? Anyone else have back pains? Um, I, I did the challenge one day where I wore the same pair of clothes two days in a row and never noticed how bad I smelled at the end of one day until I put those clothes back on the next day. It's been like humid and stuff, so maybe it's not always that bad. I remember going to a meeting uh, Thursday morning at 8 o'clock with someone that used to mentor me, and clothes were wrinkled and smelly, and I was trying to explain, I'm sorry, it's not that I'm a, you know, a slob, I'm just, and then I was talking to Tyler, and he's like, I wear the same clothes like every day, so. <laughs> <laughs> These kind of experiences, though, they, they open us up, uh, and I think create awareness of other people in this world. And we're reminded in the midst of all the things that I think are good and we don't feel guilty about the things that God blesses us with. But something switches where we start to see the, the, the life that God has given us, the gifts that he has given us, 
can be used not just for our own sake, but can be used to engage the world around us. And here in Matthew 25, Jesus starts talking about the people who are around you. There's a couple things that I think he does here that are important. The first is what Jesus is talking about is not just what we believe as followers of Jesus, but what we actually believe enough to do and to live. It changes our behavior. It changes the way we interact with others. And all of this kind of list of things, which I don't think it's a checklist of things in Matthew 25, one of the things that I, I realized is that the response is simple in Matthew 25 to those who are around you. The response is simple. To give water to people who don't have water, to give food to people who don't have food, to give clothing to people who don't have clothes. Those are simple things. Jesus is trying to communicate here something about us being in tune with those around us. And he's not calling us to do, I mean, like other passages, like Zacchaeus giving up you know, half of what he has, or the rich young ruler giving up every. Here Jesus is saying, these are simple things. Meet the needs of those around you in simple ways. You don't have to be radical. You don't have to give up everything. Just be aware of what's going on. Be open with what you have. I read through those simple things, and there's something hopeful for in that for me, because we're ordinary people, and we're called to doing just ordinary, obedient tasks, and yet that's what can change the world. Being faithful in simple things, we experience this glory that Jesus talks about. We're not superheroes. We're simply respond to others. There's something very simple about these tasks that Jesus calls us to. And I think I talked about like fruit. Fruit kind of shows what's inside of us. Uh, for me, I, what I found, especially as, you know, as a pastor, I could, it's very easy to be orthodox in word and unorthodox in deed. And do my actions with the people I interact with every day match up with what I believe about what God is doing in this world and where this uh, salvation is heading? Am I eternal or temporary? How do I interact with others? There's something about word and deed at play here. The second thing is, as he talks about the, the righteous, what I found is the righteous life is the life of love. These simple things are acts of love. The righteous are those who love as Jesus loves, who see people as Jesus sees people. The response is simple. You don't have to necessarily move to the other side of the world, which is great if you do. The sacrifice is great, but just being obedient in the simple things. The second thing is that the response is uncalculated in this parable. I don't know if is uncalculated a word. They don't calculate. It's, it's, the response is uncalculated. These people, they're, they're responding to the least of these, and Jesus says, what you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And, and they're like, whoa, we had no idea. Like, they have no idea. They're just... They're just loving and responding because that's who they are and that's what, who God is inside of them. And the calculated response is those who don't do it, they're like, well, when did we see you? Like, we, if we knew that was you, I would have done it, right? Like, if I knew that, you, that this person that, that I'm trying to serve was actually Jesus, I would have responded differently. They're, well, why? Because we have these calculated responses where we think we can get something from it. And what Jesus is talking about here, I think, is the heart. 
our intentions? Do we, do we do these things not to get something, but just because this is who we are? We are love. God is love, and it flows out of him. We've received grace, and then it flows out of us to everyone that we come in contact with. Raising four children uh, is like herding cats. It's crazy. My wife and I got away for a couple days uh, last week, and my mom watched them. I don't think my mom has recovered yet. It's been like five days since that happened. Uh, as we're raising our children, one of the things that we want is we want our children to be good people, right? Like we're trying to shape behaviors. We're trying to create awareness, um, you know, try to have them not be entitled, not be spoiled. And, and, and so we, we have them do chores around the house and uh, try to have them pick up the room. And, and here's the easy thing to do as a parent is to simply reward them for doing these chores. And that's good. Like we're, you do this. You get this, you do this, and, it, and that's great. And, and, but one of the things that we notice with our kids is now they won't necessarily listen or go do something unless there's something in it for them. So am I getting, you know, two quarters if I do this? Do I get ice cream? And I'm like, no, you do it because we asked you to do it. Like, and one of the things that we've noticed in, in raising children is creating, I think, healthy intentions. We don't clean our room because you get an award for it. We clean the room because you're, that's what you're supposed to do. You take ownership of your room. You do things to be good, not because you want some, you do things to be good because it's the right thing to do. And we want to teach our children to respond to the right thing to do. And I, I wonder how much our interaction with those around us do we just let God's love flow out of us, uncalculated, not expecting anything in return, not ever knowing who it is that we're connecting with? We love because this is what Jesus has done for us, and we love others that same way. The response is uncalculated, and yet there's something, something powerful. Jesus is concerned about our hearts and intentions. The third thing is that the response leads to an encounter with Jesus. This is kind of like, it's almost like there's this M. Night Shyamalan switch in the story. They, they've been serving these least of these, and all of a sudden Jesus says, you've done, as you've been doing that to others, you've done it unto me. There's an encounter with Jesus as they serve others. And I think this is one of kind of the, the, the ways of the kingdom that's so hard to understand. As we give away our life, we truly find it. As we love others, we find true contentment. As we serve others, we find that not because there's an, we're trying to get the reward for it, but we're wired as eternal beings to live the kingdom of heaven here and now. And in this, they encounter Christ through their acts of love and service to each other. Uh, on August, October 4th, this last week, uh, there was a day on kind of the old traditional church calendar called the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. And we don't really kind of follow that calendar anymore, and a lot of us probably had even no idea that that was a, a, a day that was celebrated by kind of the ancient church. And, but I, I heard about it, this Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, and decided to kind of look into it more. And what a fascinating story about this old saint. Some of you know who St. Francis is. Uh, 
as I started to read the story, St. Francis has kind of this moment where he, his life changes. He comes from kind of this wealthy, entitled upbringing. He's kind of high class in society, and he's miserable. He talks about how miserable he is, like the things of this world, just whatever it is, it hasn't filled him. And he's tried to fill his life with the things of this world. And he has this, like, this conversion moment where his life changes. And he, and he tells a story where he's riding on the road on his horse and he's traveling. And as he's traveling on the road, he comes in contact with uh, this old beggar that's walking up the road. And as he gets closer to the beggar, he starts to smell the stench. This guy's worn the same clothes for a couple days in a row. Um, and then as he looks down, he, he realizes that this isn't just a beggar. It's actually a leper. This person has leprosy. And he's terrified. And he's, he's grossed out. He talks about the ugliness of, of this person. This person must have had leprosy for a while. They're in like late stages of it. And as he kind of starts to ride by, all of a sudden something tells him to stop. And St. Francis decides to, to get off of his horse. And he meets this leper face to face. And he just feels feels he has no idea why, just compelled to give this leper a hug. This leper probably hasn't had like human contact for a long time. And St. Francis grabs this leper and hugs the leper. And then as he's hugging the leper, he says that he, he has this experience or this vision where the leper's face becomes the face of Jesus. And he realizes that he's hugging this leper, but something else is going on here completely changes his life. He encounters Christ in the least of these. I don't know if that story is true. I don't know if it's a dream. I don't know if it's just this mystical thing that we don't understand that doesn't happen anymore. But it changes St. Francis's life. And it becomes this testimony that he encountered Christ in the least of these. And we think about this passage in Matthew 25 and these things that we're called to do as the church, as Jesus' disciples. We come into these encounters where we experience Jesus in the midst of the suffering of those around us, in the midst of meeting the needs of others around us. We have this reminder that humans are created in the image of God. And when we respond to these human needs, we encounter Jesus. Closing with this story, when I was in Beirut, having this experience that for me kind of changed my life and uh, opened me up to, to the world around me. We, we were in, uh, in Beirut, and I was actually in this, uh, this camp with Bedouins, and they invited me in for tea. Um, it really happened. Go in, we're having tea with them and hearing their story and hearing how they've kind of been on the run, moving around. They had all these insurgents that came in. Uh, these, these people were actually from Iraq, and when all the insurgents came in, they had to leave and have been kind of running for their lives, and story after story of neighbors who lost their lives. Or, uh, it, it's just this chaos. It's a chaotic kind of culture that they live in. And they're telling a story after story of they ran running around trying to escape. And I remember one of the people that was with us, was talking about how the church has helped with these people who were running, sheltered them, given them food, given them hope. And 
The bad one was like, yes, this, these are the people that we've actually come to and been able to receive hope. No one else would really listen to our, our story, our plight. And I remember one of the people with us saying, this is what the church does. It listens to the stories that no one else wants to listen to. Churches have to listen to those hard stories that no one else wants to listen to. And I think that Jesus sets these high expectations for us in Matthew 25. Because I don't think these are like natural human responses to see the least of these and say, I want to meet their needs. I want to open my life up to connect with them. And Matthew 25 talks about the fruit of what we believe is our actions. Do we listen to those that no one else wants to listen to? Do we take time to slow down and respond? Do we see that the gifts that God has given us can be used as gifts to others? My hope is that God would form our hearts to respond well to the people around us. Now, this takes on all sorts of different, different forms and ways to do it. Um, whether it's taking care of those who are parentless, whether it's uh, meeting the needs of those who are sick, visiting those who are in prison, there's all sorts of different ways to engage with the suffering of the world around us. Some of it's pretty simple. A couple tasks that Christine explained earlier, some of this might not be for you, and that's fine. Our hope is that your passion would align with the world's greatest needs. There we think that there's calling that lies there, and maybe you're passionate about different things, but a couple things that we can do that's easy um, one is child sponsorship, sponsoring a child. Um, child sponsorship is something that my parents did uh, when I was a kid. They sponsored a child with World Vision. And for us as children, I remember hearing these stories of children that had uh, nothing on the other side of the world. Um, I'd love to encourage you to do that. The second thing is much more difficult. It's running a marathon to raise funds. I, uh, I don't like to run. And I was an athlete. I played three sports in high school. Um, as I got older, a lot of my friends would do marathons, and I was like, I've just never gotten bit by the marathon bug, so it's not for me. And then one of my best friends who lived in my neighborhood's like, well, I'm going to do it, and I'll do it if you do it. And I was like, well, now I have to do it. <laughs> and I ended, up, I ended up doing it. And it was this great experience where I was able to run uh, with, with Team World Vision. We had a team here at the church, and we're going to do another one. And one of the things I think that's interesting is that we realize that all of the things that we do, we can do with a purpose beyond just ourselves. And so those are two things that are easy tasks, whether it's sponsoring a child, whether it's joining this run. Um, some of you are, are, are not into running. That's totally fine. Um, uh, don't feel like you're missing out on something. You kind of are, but you don't feel like you're missing out. Um, the third thing would be this. When it comes to this passage, it's a hard passage to read. What about this week if you would read through it slowly and pray through it and reflect on it? It's a powerful and meaningful passage. And say, God, would you just reveal to me this week different ways that you want me to respond to those around me? Go slowly through Matthew 25. Say, Lord, 
how am I able to slow down and be aware of the needs of those around me? Maybe it's my family. Maybe it's people at work. Um, maybe it's people that I have overlooked for a long time. And Lord, would you just nudge me to respond? That I'd have eyes to see people as you see them and that you would encounter Jesus as you do so. We're going to pray for us and then we're going to end our time with communion. And communion for us is something that's sacred. It's this act that Jesus does on the cross that takes all of our sin and brokenness, all the things that we're needy in, and he meets our needs with this act that is eternal. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was given as a gift, even when we're undeserving. We take a cup of juice and it represents the blood of Christ that was poured out, that cleanses us of our iniquity. And we take it, we remember that life is a gift, that life is grace, that eternal life was provided by our good God. We take it in remembrance and then we proclaim it and live it. And we say that as the body of Christ, we want to be a good gift to this world. So Lord, get a hold of our hearts and flow out of us to others. The man's going to come back up and close us uh, with a time of uh, with worship. When you're ready, feel free to move to communion. We have two stations on each side of the room. And then after the service, if you are interested in uh, sponsoring a child, joining a race, uh, we'd love for you to do either. Um, my hope today is that you would allow God to just open your eyes and ears to those who are around you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for tough passages like this that uh, there's a lot to unpack. And Lord, we don't want to become legalistic in our actions. We know that these actions aren't things that are going to make you love us more. And yet we know that we live in a broken world that is in need of more of you. And your church, Lord, the body of Christ, has influence to spread out through this community, has influence to spread out through our city, to spread out through the world, to show your love to others. Lord, may the fruit of our belief change how we behave. May we be good news to those who are suffering and who are needy. May we have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the stories that no one else wants to listen to. May we slow down in the midst of our busy schedules to be your body here and now. Lord, I ask your blessing on your church today. Yet you would encourage us, you would empower us. You would give us supernatural strength to do these ordinary simple tasks that others may know more of who you are we love you so much in your son's name we pray amen